This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. My uh, guest today is Travis Botton. He is the a filmmaker from uh, Stone Glacier. If you have seen Stone Glacier's film Rain Likely, you have seen Travis's work. Thanks for being on here, Travis. Yeah, thanks, Jeff, for having me. So we'll get into to the filmmaking in in a second. First, I want to be to to start with. Uh, who you were in high school, because I'm a high school English teacher and I'm always curious about how people who are in the industry, uh, kind of who they were in high school. So freshman English class, where were you sitting and what were you doing, uh, during class? Oh man, I honestly don't even remember English class in my freshman year. It seems like a, such a blur. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, I couldn't tell you. Were you the type of kid who was, paying attention, taking notes, getting good grades, or did you kind of antagonistic, when am I going to need to know this, or this is all, I don't care at all about poetry, where are you at? No, I was pretty uh, sufficient in school, uh, achieved good grades, um, and so yeah, I took it pretty seriously, was pretty in tune with uh, trying to learn most of uh, English, math, science. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely was kind of your typical high schooler where uh, you kind of ebb and flow depending on the year. And as you get, I feel like older in life or become a junior and senior, you kind of start to fall off a little bit. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, I couldn't, couldn't <laughs> tell you where, where I was my freshman year English class. Yeah. I, 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 I had a, such a small class growing up in Klawak. I think there was, you know, eight or nine of us. But I do remember not caring a whole lot about some of the books. And then when I look back at things, I think, man, there was. I'm really glad that I had that relationship with learning, so that I had, you know, like you, you have to learn new things. And so appreciating the the process and being willing to have the the work ethic to get through. Uh, and learn certain things has been uh, pretty important. I try to impress that on the students. It doesn't matter what you're going to go into. A work ethic is necessary. You absolutely are going to have to have it. And otherwise you're just, you're stuck. Yeah, a hundred percent. I wish, honestly, I would have paid more attention in my English and writing classes in high school. Uh, Cause those were some of the, I feel like the most important classes that I took when I was in college, uh, you know, when it came to business and just writing emails and being able to, uh, you know, create sentences and just making it sound or having the compensation to, to understand, like, how do I come off as, you know, competent Mm -hmm. in my understanding of all things, whether it's business or English or communication. Uh, so yeah, if I were to tell myself in high school, I would have said, Hey, pay a little bit more attention in your writing classes and English classes um, but there's so many, if I would go back, I would tell myself growing up, that would benefit me in the long term. 
Yeah, I think if anybody looks back and says, oh, I did high school perfectly, or I think they're, they're probably lying at least a little bit. But Oh, yeah. So your journey between high school graduation and then you're up uh, up in the interior of Alaska on a caribou hunt with uh, with Jesse Nock, um, how did that go? Like, it's not uh, something that as soon as you decide that you want to make films, the universe is going to reward you because you're pursuing your passion. So can you talk a little bit about the background of you starting out uh, filming, maybe some of your first films or successes, failures, how you got uh, connected and then how you ended up uh, on that flyout hunt? Yeah, so in high school, I actually, um, you always have these, you know, additional credits or extra credit classes you have to take to uh, graduate and each year you know you take some extra curriculum stuff whether it's you know a ping pong class or for me it was a uh, we had the opportunity to do a video editing course and I grew up in North Idaho and Post Falls Idaho and we were one of the fortunate high schools at the time that had Mac labs. So basically we got funding for, you know, our classes to basically buy Macs at the time, which were the computers and platforms that most people are using to do, you know, photo editing or video editing projects. And so we had an editing, a video editing class, which happened to be taught by my soccer coach at the time. And that's kind of why I had taken the course initially was like, Hey, <laughs> I get to hang out with some of my fellow uh, soccer players, but also my soccer coaches, the teacher. So um, it just seemed like a, a fun extra credit class that I could take at the time, but it ended up being uh, like a great class to take. And I learned a ton about video editing and just learning uh, Final Cut and Photoshop in that class. And that was kind of the start of, um, you know, editing and diving deeper into uh, filmmaking and videoing and at the time in high school I was really serious about skiing uh, along with my brother and so we would always be filming skiing when we were younger and trying to replicate things like Warren Miller or Poor Boys Productions at the time and uh, so that was yeah that was the start of uh, just getting deeper into photo and video content and that kind of laid the groundwork for me to expand from there um, after high school. Mm -hmm. How much of that early stuff was just not very good? And it was it, did you kind of know at the time that it was just part of the process? You have to get from first draft or you have to get this experience by doing the thing. You can't just expect the first project to be really good. How did you deal with that pushing through the early times when you weren't as skilled? So, you know, starting out, whether, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're always super green. And uh, at the time, I was just like, hey, I just want to have like a completed project of looking back on like a, a day of skiing or a weekend of skiing or a year of skiing, like putting something together. And it was more of for the memory's sake of like, let's put this together and I can make a video and, and look back on that video. Um, and you definitely you know, you're, you're trying to replicate everyone that's a professional. So you're trying to replicate what you're seeing in these ski movies at the time. And you could tell like, okay, well, we're not as good as skiers. <laughs> as like the talent in these ski movies. And we're obviously not as good, 
you don't have the cameras as these filmmakers or the, you know, the, sh- the ability to create these shots or develop these shots ahead of time. Um, and so it was definitely a, a progression and, uh, you know, I could tell that I was making progress throughout the years and like they would get better and you would just get more creative. Um, but it definitely is, is a long time before I would, you know, see a piece that I'd put together and be like, Oh, that's like something I would actually want to, or, you know, would catch my interest and be interested in watching. So yeah, definitely a, a long process of uh, just learning and trying to, you know, be a, a sponge and absorb as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly it was a, a process of realizing, Hey, you know, try to replicate things that work initially and just, you know, grasp whatever you can from these people that like, why did I like that video? Mm-hmm. And you, you start to be like, why was like, why was I interested in that? Was it like the music that captured me? Was it the story? Was did it have unique shots? Like, you finally like start to develop things of like, why am I attracted to that? Um, so yeah, it was, is it's a long process mm-hmm. in the video realm. What kind of feedback were you getting? Uh, sometimes when you and it's, it's kind of like when you were in high school, I use these as my examples, but when you're peer editing someone's paper and they just say, great job at the top, I'd give it an A, but you don't get any meaningful feedback. And so your essay sucks still because no one is willing to provide you with good insight that's going to be helpful. Uh, What was that early feedback like? Were there people who were critical that helped you get better? Was it just a matter of, oh, that's, you know, wonderful, great, and not helpful? What was that like? So... Uh, yeah, feedback is critical. Obviously, if you have people in high school, they don't want to hurt your feelings a lot of the time, unless they, you know, don't like you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, they'll say whatever, but, um, it was those that were probably closest to me, you know, my brother or my teacher, uh, who actually cared about the progression, um, of getting better. Um, but yeah, feedback, it was, it's, it's hard to, uh, understand and how to, you know, take feedback, uh, and use it to become better. And I guess that was one of the things I wish maybe my parents or had a mentor when I was younger, where it's like, everyone needs to be taught like that criticism is necessary in becoming better. Um, and a lot of people, you know, you can get criticism and it can be positive criticism but a lot of times it's like, oh, they don't like it. And it's, it, that's, not a, that's not the case whatsoever. It's that a lot of times critiques and feedback is completely necessary. And if you view it as like, hey, they're trying to give me this information so that I can become better. And obviously, as you become better, you realize you, like, there's some things you can throw out because um, not all feedback is you know validated. But a lot of times it's stuff to take into consideration and, and, uh, like, is this valuable feedback and, you know, utilize that feedback to becoming better. So it's hard as a young individual, um, to see the value in feedback, but it was definitely critical uh, in progressing and becoming a better filmmaker, um, you know, photographer, all that. Yeah, I think sometimes it's taken personally, and when I started writing, that was something that I would take personally. If someone didn't like what I wrote, that doesn't mean that it's bad necessarily, and that's when I started looking at other other things too. And if I if I look at a, a hunting film, 
and I don't like it, it doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just because it doesn't match my taste. So if, if I were to say yeah. I didn't really like it because of this, 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 that doesn't mean that it wasn't exactly what the the producer had in mind when they were doing that. And to take uh, to take stuff very, very personal is not helpful at all. It can It can hurt sometimes when you think you've done something really well and someone picks out some obvious things that either you should have have thought about or maybe you should have corrected. Uh, it can be tough to take that, but yeah, not taking it personally is so important to, to staying motivated to keep going. Oh yeah. And I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. We can always, you can always be better. Yeah. So when did you start to get uh, traction? Do you remember a specific moment when there were, you, you applied for a, a, a job or to film or you had a finished product that you submitted somewhere? How, how did that, uh, the wheels really start turning for you? After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/waypoint. Yeah, I'm trying to so throughout high school, you know, just making little ski videos and it was all you know just just something that i was interested in um and then i was in college i went to school for business marketing and it was kind of a big transition for me so i grew up in north idaho which is known to have hunting and fishing but my family wasn't into hunting and fishing and uh so when i was a senior high school my family actually moved to big fork montana and it wasn't until I moved to Montana where I started to have friends that were super into hunting and fishing where I was actually exposed to that. So I actually didn't hunt or really fish, fly fishing more than spin fishing, uh, until I was about 18 years old. And so that was like 2006, 2007. And it was there that like once I got exposed to hunting, I was just like, wow, like I've been, <laughs> I've been missing out. Like hunting is, it's just so cool and like there's so much out there as far as a connection to the landscape to the animal you're hunting to like the food you're eating and so it was kind of a point where it's just like wow i want to like capture this and either share it with my family was initially the start of it It was like i want to capture these moments and share it with my family to be like hey 
this is kind of what I'm doing now. And, you know, I was hoping that maybe my dad or other family members would potentially get involved, but it was just something I wanted to share because I had never been exposed to it. And growing up, you know, I've ski, we always had ski movies that came out every single year that you'd watch before the ski season. And that would get you excited and stoked about the upcoming, you know, winter. But there wasn't anything like that for hunting or fly fishing at the time. And so I was just like, well, I kind of want to start there and start capturing it and just sharing it. And that was when I had started a blog with my brother. And we literally would just take all of our outings and we would shoot content, photos. Most of the time it was photos, but sometimes it was video. And we just started documenting our trips and posting it online. And it was kind of from there that we just all of a sudden would get like people on our website that were writing us emails and we would, you know, get comments on our Vimeo or YouTube videos. And all of a sudden, you know, we get a video, you know, that would get like 20,000 views. And so it's kind of from there where it was like, wow, like there's, there is a need for this. Like there's, we're not just the only ones that are like, Hey, there's not really much content out there outside of, you know, your stereotypical hunting video um, that kind of transitions or is a cross between like an exciting ski film that gets you excited for the year, but also hunting and fishing. Like it was kind of a weird um, intermingling of, <laughs> of the two sports for us. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of was at that point where it was just like, yeah, we just started to get more and more traction as we started to make more videos and put out more content and we started to just understand that, you know, blogs was a really, at the time was a really easy way to actually gain traction on the internet just between keywording and like, yeah, understanding how SEO works with all of your blog posts and your photos and your video content. And so it took off pretty quickly from there. Mm -hmm. So how'd you get hooked up with stone glacier? So Stone Glacier, my hookup was my brother. So my brother and I, we had started a company called Montana Wild. And that was a media company. And we did a a wide variety of uh, anywhere from, you know, marketing for companies like Sitka. Uh, We did a bunch of uh, marketing campaigns for companies like RMEF, uh, Orvis, Sims, and it wasn't until I got married where it was a huge life change that uh, I realized I couldn't commit the amount of time I had previously as a single person to that company. And so it was, it was definitely a, a hard point in my life and also my relationship with my brother, because he was my business partner, uh, to be like, hey, I know I'm you know dedicating all this time to our business, but I just can't do that going forward. Like I need to focus a lot more of my energy on my, my now like future wife that I was engaged to. And so that was, that was kind of a hard thing because it's like, I'm there. My brother's able to rely on me for all these projects we have, you know, we're taking 12, 14 day trips. And I kind of had to tell him that's like something I can't necessarily commit to going forward. And so it was at that point that I actually sold my share of the company to my brother and I actually took a break from like media related work that I was doing for probably like, I think it was like four years, four or five years that I didn't really do much 
I actually uh, became a, a siding, con- siding and painting contractor uh, for a short period of time. And it wasn't until like the last year or two that I kind of jumped back in and, and uh, have gotten a little bit more time to um, yeah, do more filmmaking and photography work. One of the things I like about that, and then also, Jesse, there's, there's a, a scene early on when uh, Jesse describes himself as a uh, full-time dad, full-time fish culturist, and then yeah. like a hobby hunter. And I think that's that my preferred hunting film is the like the regular person. Uh, J- Jesse is obviously extremely skilled. He's not just like ordinary guy who's going out hunting. He's very, very good. Um, then obviously your films are very, very good too, but having you guys are people with real lives. It's not a host with the camera crew who, you know, is neglecting everything else, chasing the money, whatnot, and understanding and knowing that the first priority is, is family. I think it just comes across in a film as a lot more legitimate. There's sacrifice that's put forth in order to make it happen. It's not just a matter of money is no object. I can just go do whatever I want. So that's definitely the appeal for me watching those sort of films as opposed to some of the older stuff where it's money is no object and it seems like this person's full-time purpose in life is just to be a host. Yeah. I, Jesse Knox, a, a great dude. And <clears throat> that trip was the first time I'd actually met Jesse, but um, I definitely, I love uh, whether I'm watching content or, you know, working with someone like Jesse, where it is someone where it's just like, I have a passion for hunting. I'm a, I'm a normal guy. Um, like Jesse, you know, he, he works a normal job out of Southeast Alaska. He has a passion for obviously hunting and even fishing. Um, but it's nice to just be able to work with someone like that, where it's like, they don't have any skin in the game. Like they're not, (laughs) they're not there for any other reason than they had a connection, uh, that ended up making, you know, put me in a position to capture his hunt. Um, but otherwise he would have been on that hunt regardless. And if there was a film or not, it wouldn't make a difference to Jesse. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to be able to capture that person kind of in their element going on this hunt and uh, showing just that, you know, it's just uh, um, trying to look for the word, but you know, they just don't, they don't have any, any, any other reason than just to show the authentic hunt of how it would be. Yeah. Did you talk to him a couple times, like before you guys met up as far as plans and whatnot and hunting styles, or was it just kind of, you know, we'll meet up and, uh, figure it out. You seem cool. I seem cool. We'll just make this thing work. No. Yeah. We, we had, uh, quite a few conversations before the hunt. Um, there's a lot of, uh, planning that just kind of goes into place when you're filming someone, especially someone that you, uh, you know, it's not a, a friend of yours you know or someone that you're not well acquainted with uh so yeah we had multiple conversations because there's just a lot of things that goes into it uh for stone glacier you know they're always getting they're doing everything to a t so you know if that's if we're hunting on public land they're getting the film permits um they're making sure all the logistics are well thought out ahead of time because there's nothing worse than trying to plan and spend all this money and then have it come down to, Hey, it's time to film this hunt and something doesn't go as planned. You know, that's just money wasted either for the company or, you know, for me trying to logistically get up there. So yeah, I think we had talked on the phone probably four to five different times ahead of time. And just to have those conversations, I had to give those conversations with Jesse of, 
hey, this is kind of what we're thinking. <clears throat> like Jesse hasn't necessarily, he has filmed with people and he kind of understood that, but I just had to walk through those things of like, you know, are you comfortable with, you know, all this list of items that I'm planning on filming um, so that he's as comfortable as possible going into it. Not to mention, you know, you don't want to have a filmer that's following you, but also is hindering your hunt. Um, I've been on both in front of the lens and behind the lens, so I kind of understand that. Um, I feel like a lot of times some of these people, you know, that are, you know, if they go on a sheep hunt, a lot of these hunts, especially in Alaska or Canada, they can be very physically demanding. And if the bringing a filmer along changes the hunt, mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter what you do. It changes not, especially if your filmer or photographer is not physically able to keep up or kind of stay out of the way while capturing that. So yeah, we had quite a few conversations ahead of time just to make sure, you know, we're on the same page, the expectations are in place. Um, and that's definitely an important piece when you're putting this together. Mm-hmm. What was your Alaska experience before this trip? I had only been to Alaska one time before that trip. My wife's uh, mom is actually from uh, South Pole, Alaska. So uh, <laughs> we had actually went up there uh, to visit her family uh, probably two or three years beforehand. And we did kind of like a big uh, trip through, you know, Denali. And uh, then we ended up doing some salmon fishing and a little bit of halibut fishing. But yeah, that was, that was my only experience. No hunting, hunting experience in Alaska prior to that. Yeah. The interior is so crazy because it's just so massive and you can feel really small. I've been on hunts in, in Wyoming. I did, I was born in Colorado, so I've been down there, but there's always some, there's something out there that's kind of man-made and mm-hmm. there's, there's going to be a road. There's a County road. There's, there's, you know, ranch, there's a fence, there's a something that kind of cuts it up, but just that massive expanse. And you think, wow, I don't even think I'm going to see a moose because the moose don't have to be next to the road. There's so much better habitat everywhere else. It's almost, almost disappointing to just see how huge it is and how it's not like a zoo. You're not going to see, you might see a bear, you might see moose, you might see a caribou running around, but there's so much land for them to be on. They don't have to be next to the road and it's, it's pretty sweet, but um, yeah, just a whole, just different. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, I was just looking at, you know, maps and just Google earth with Jesse before the hunt and just trying to, you know, we are just trying to, put a game plan in place ahead of time, which is also super important, whether you're just going to hunt or also just trying to figure out like, what are you going to capture on the hunt? And it was, it's just wild to look at Alaska on Google earth and everything looks on Google earth, typically way smaller and easier to navigate. But then even when you're looking at Alaska, you're just like, wow, like Alaska is giant. There's so much uninhabited land that it, it kind of blows your mind. Yeah. There's no, in some cases, I guess there are, as you, you can get off the main road and there's some old, um, roads or you know, old mining roads, old logging roads, something like that. But for the most part, you're not, 
you're not getting way deep in there unless you uh, you have a plane. Uh, had you been on uh, small planes like that before? No, first time on a Super Cub. Yeah, it was it was a good experience. Hopefully, I get to do it again. But yeah, it's pretty much a a go kart with wings. Yeah, I've never been on one of those before. But living in Southeast Alaska, we flew a lot of float planes for basketball trips and for cross country mm-hmm. trips. So it split up the team on a two of those and just fly around. It's just horrible because you're flying during, for especially for basketball, you're flying in the winter. So the weather yeah. is going to be bad. It's going to be just miserable and rainy and horrible. So you're showing up for the game and you're kind of airsick a little bit and you're sleeping on the floor of, of a classroom at the school, just an absolute I don't know, character building nonstop. But uh, yeah, the Super Cub is a whole different world because a commercial plane that's stout and sturdy and can land on the water if something happens, you know, those Super Cubs, those are... It's a whole different ball game. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was a good experience. Um, it's wild just being up there talking to those pilots and hearing the stories they have because uh, there's definitely plenty of accidents, mm-hmm. um, which is it's just wild to hear about up there. It's all, all sorts of different stories, whether it's algae and gas tanks or just, yeah. Yeah. Weather that just shows up out of nowhere. Yeah. So as far as weather goes, um, how was it? You you spent a couple of days uh, in the tents when it's raining. Um, how do you stay focused? How do you stay energized? How do you pass those time knowing that you have to get some shots, uh, but you might not feel like it? How did you pass that time? So, yeah, we ha- definitely had, we had quite a bit of downtime in the tents, uh, just mostly fog. Uh, but it was raining consistently. Um, yeah, time in the tent was a lot of time for me was spent just trying to pre-plan the next day or when I was going to be going out next to shoot and kind of I I went into the shoot with a you know a checklist of all these shots and kind of like a a general storyline that I was trying to capture and uh, it was kind of nice to have that downtime. Because a lot of times on hunts, you know, you have, I mean, hunts go from before the sun rises to after the sun goes down. And when you get back to camp, it's it's very much like we need to get the rest and you're exhausted. You wake up the next day, you have to go out and be ready to go. But having that little bit of downtime was kind of nice uh, to regather, go back through checklists um, and prepare for when you know, the weather was going to break. Um, but for the most part, we kind of just hung out at camp, got more sleep. Um, and just a lot of conversations about where we thought, you know, we were going to find a big caribou and it wasn't, it wasn't shown in the film, but Jesse as a resident, he had a grizzly tag as well. So we were, we were going to try to, um, we had seen a grizzly actually on, on day one probably about two miles out that we were we tried uh to find and never found him again but um yeah i think we saw we saw one boar and then two different sows with cubs on that trip um so yeah time time in the tent's kind of it's a hard thing but for me i kind of found it beneficial and just um 
trying to regather, clean camera gear, and get prepared for when we were going to go out next. Did you have most of the shots in your head when you went out there, or was it kind of you're just responding to the weather conditions and everything else and just kind of getting your, your shot plan as you're out there? Uh, I mean, I have a I had a complete checklist of shots that I absolutely wanted to get. Um, but otherwise, you know, a lot of it is documentation and just trying to almost over capture. And it's really important to try to, you know, gather those sound bites when the hunter, you know, actually has important information to give. Cause a lot of times it's like, Oh crap, I wish I would have had the camera on to capture that. And you're not ready. So there is a lot of just documentation style filming. Um, and then there's times where I, you know, I ha- I refer back to my checklist of, Oh, I wanted to get this shot. And so it's like, okay, we're hiking to spot A. Um, weather's perfect for this. Let's try to take a few minutes and get this shot on the way there. Um, whether it's a B-roll shot or just something that I had planned um, regarding um, just like tying it into the film and what I kind of had in mind. But a lot of it is documentary style filming where it's just like I'm trying to get those moments of Jesse – where it's showing his emotions or he has something to say or he comes across something randomly that's unexpected that you want to make sure you're, you're able to capture so that if you are going to use that piece, that it all makes sense, sense coherently, whether it's, um, you know, in a sequence of from A to B, like we, <laughs> you know, we come across it, it, If you come across the caribou and you kill it, but you didn't film anything leading up to that, it's kind of hard to, mm-hmm to show it you automatically just jump into hey we saw a caribou and we shot it yeah um so there is a lot of planning and and just trying to make sure you're kind of always capturing a select sequence of shots leading up to whatever it is throughout your day so that if something does go down or we run into a caribou or grizzly i have content to put those details in ahead of time so it's not just like hey we woke up oh hey there's a there's a caribou we're gonna shoot um, and you go and shoot it, it's just kind of anti- anticlimactic, you know? Mm-hmm. So you get back, you have your shots, of the caribou kill, you have a whole bunch of B-roll to go through. How many hours worth of film did you have to go through or footage did you have to go through in order to cut this down into what's like 22 and a half minutes, 23 minutes? So I spent, I spent around 80 hours on the whole film between just, you know, going through footage and editing. Um, but a lot of that is organizing the clips and then creating sequences. <clears throat> and I try to go in and create sequences um, that kind of allow me to categorize different shots, whether it's, you know, great commentary, I'll have a full sequence for, for that, or bloopers, or, you know, day one, I... I always put together like full day sequences of like day one, what's the general sequential timeline of events. Um, So that's a big part in actually putting the film together is just making sure you have great organization from the beginning of all of your clips so that you can look at it quickly and start piecing stuff together. Otherwise it's, it's a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Did, uh, was there a a time 
like structure or a, a time that you wanted to hit. There are some really good films out there that are 45 minutes. There are some films that are right in this range. I think most of the uh, meat eater episodes are around 20 minutes. Um, was there a goal for time or was it just uh, how you wanted to cho- to, uh, to tell the story? The guys at Stone Glacier, I think, you know, for most of their films, they're trying to hit kind of a 15 to 25 minute mark. Um, but obviously if it's, if it's exceptional and it goes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes plus, uh, I don't, you know, that's not going to be a problem, but for the most part on uh, a lot of hunts, it's kind of that 50 to 25 minute mark. And that kind of gave me that criteria ahead of time. And it just so happened with everything that I put together, the sequence, it kind of came to 22 minutes without putting restrictions and just cutting out a lot of that, that fluff. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we kind of had a goal in mind, but it was, um, I think a pretty, I think a lot of those hunts, when you put in the details, are probably 15 to 25 minutes. How do you tell what makes something good to include versus something that, like there's there's rounding out the story and making the story full versus adding two things that are very, very similar and ends up being redundant? How can you decipher what is helping the story versus what is just making it exceptionally or gratuitously or too long? I think that just kind of comes down to experience and, and doing more of these projects. Uh, it's, it, I mean, a lot of the videos you see on, on YouTube and even some of the films, you're just kind of, <clears throat> a lot of the stuff is just repetitive or uninteresting just because it's way too drawn out. And I think just as experience comes, you kind of have a good understanding of that's important. I should include that and have an ability to see the things that just don't really add anything to the film. You still want to make sure that everybody has an understanding of where the film's going and and an understanding of what's happening in the film. So that if you were to see it the first time or as an outsider, that you understand what's going on. So you need to include those pieces so that it makes sense. Uh, But cutting out the things that, you know, either they're not really adding anything to the film or they're just kind of, you know, they're interesting, but they don't, you know, I don't think they actually add anything to this film. And you, obviously you don't, I mean, a super long film. If I were to include everything, I could have a 30, 45 minute piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really having that experience of knowing, yeah, what's going to make it, what's not cutting out that fluff. And um, yeah, I think that's part of the, kind of the creative aspect of, of filmmaking is just having that understanding of, what's going to make the cut and what doesn't, what adds to it and what doesn't you know, really benefit or add to the film. Yeah. You got right to it. I think there was maybe one shot before you guys are in the field. There was no arriving in Anchorage at the Anchorage airport uh, with the moose in the background. I don't know how many YouTube videos include <laughs> you're, you're leaving this town, getting on the flight, little time-lapse of the flight and then a photo in front of the moose in the Anchorage airport and then getting out to somewhere. So the first four or five minutes is just all kind of getting there and explaining stuff. And so, I don't know, the attention span of some people could all could already be strained a little bit before you start adding all the uh, other B-roll stuff. So I really like that. Again, there are people who like to add that, and it is a, a sense of traveling to get to the point. So again, just because I don't prefer that doesn't mean that it's bad. But I did like how you guys, you got right, right to it. And then any sort of extra B-roll or something as a part of the hunt, it's 
it's part of the hunt. It's not in the extra stuff that you added at the beginning to kind of tell the story uh, of getting there because that's not as interesting as the actual hunt. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, I think <clears throat> sometimes in the hunting industry, as or a lot of the the films or videos you see, most people think of it as a sequential way of putting the film together. Like I flew in or I traveled, there's a, a means of getting there. There's a means of preparing for the hunt. There's a means of um, scouting or whatever it may be. So they put it in a, a timeline of sequentially, like how everything happened. And that <clears throat> it is hard because it's like, well, there was some cool things in the travel piece, but is that really where we should start the film? And kind of having an idea and trying to be a little bit more creative because I think a lot of, unfortunately, like a lot of hunting filmmakers or these videos, they that's kind of their their playbook is it's a sequential thing, A B C D E F G. You know, it kind of goes in this timeline of we're going to show things as it happened. Whereas you know, there's a lot of things where it's just like you could literally make a film where it's like the film starts at the kill. Like mm -hmm. the film starts at, like where I like we shot the caribou and it can literally be a film of how was the pack out? Maybe it was the most like the most physically demanding hunt or like pack out that you and you that was your sole focus was as soon as we were just going to try to capture the kill. And then the biggest thing is we're going to capture all the emotions and every single detail of the pack out. And you like you don't see anything like that. And so I think that's kind of where like the more creative aspect. And I think there's a lot of, um, there's still a lot of um, potential with hunting films to be a little bit more creative um, rather than just starting from point A, going to, you know, the end of the, where the, where the kill happens and then ending the film. Yeah. That would, that would take some guts to come back and say, I started filming with the kill. It's going to be great guys. <laughs> Thanks for letting me go up. There's an amazing experience. And I'm going to try something really, really new with this film. Yeah. Well, I think that's where having an idea ahead of time and being like, this is like, I have three ideas for a film, which hunting is probably the most, like it's probably one of the hardest, um, like outdoor pursuits to capture because the planning is so hard. Like you don't even know if you're going to kill an animal. You don't know what's going to happen. Even with fishing, it's a lot easier to like pre-plan an idea because most of the time with fishing, the person kind of has an idea of like, Hey, I'm going to catch a fish, but with hunting, you don't even know if you're going to see it. For instance, a caribou. And so it's very hard if you have an idea to be like, this is exactly how it's going to go down. Cause you really have no idea. There's so many variables that could change absolutely everything. But a lot of times, you know, when, when we are trying to make these films, we try to go into them with like ideas ahead of time so that you can have that laser focus of, I have these ideas and that's kind of the idea that I'm going to shoot for when I'm filming this, but I have to be flexible that if something totally changes, that my idea may turn into something totally else, like mm -hmm. totally different than what I originally expected. And I think that's, I think more, if more, more filmmakers in the hunting realm, even if it's just YouTube videos had actual ideas ahead of time of this is going to be our focus and our focus for the film. And it's going to be unique outside of just capturing the hunt. We'd probably, I mean, you'd probably see a lot of really cool things.
um, as far as films go. But yeah. for the most part of what I see is it's it's just sequential of we're going to document the hunt as it happens and and that's how it is, which obviously some really cool stuff happens and and it, it turns into some really exciting um, exciting films. Um, but yeah, I think just having an idea ahead of time is, is super ben- beneficial into creating a piece that's kind of unique. Yeah, I think there's there's kind of a trap that comes with some of the film clips because you know, what's going to get eyeballs and that's different than being motivated by eyeballs rather than I'm going to be creative and I'm going to tell a a fun story here. Um, Because if you get and focus on like a gnarly kill shot, a lot of people are going to click on it because it's just, you know, bloody and gory and it's, it's this or to, you know, stand Mm -hmm. out by having or doing something ridiculous because you know, you're going to get attention for it versus staying Mm -hmm. true to telling a good story. And I think, being creative, um, you know, it might not get shared in the same way and you might not get, cause you had some sort of epic crazy thing or you, you know, made a, a super long shot. You had a 200 yard cap, but you shot from a thousand and you shot the thing eight times and finally got it. You know, there's, I think it can, it can lead uh, to, to be a little bit of a trap for people who are trying to make their way in or make a name for themselves by doing really, mm-hmm things that might sacrifice the ethics a little bit and staying true to a creative vision and, you know, sticking with that and having fun with that and being true to that rather than giving into the temptation to just be louder and outrageous. Yeah. I, I mean, nowadays it's, I mean, a lot of people really focus on views, clicks, you know, likes that sort of thing. And it's easy to get manipulated as a filmmaker to like, kind of going towards those those items and putting value to them but i think the best filmmakers are kind of true to themselves and you know they don't necessarily care about those items obviously when you're working for a company you want them to get the most benefit out of the product you're delivering to them but the best creatives you know have their own ideas and um and kind of stay true to themselves i think a lot of times that work still does it does extremely well just because of that, but they're not trying to go over the top and over exaggerate all this stuff and act like, you know, we almost got killed by a bear. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, that blister on our heel put us so far back or the pack out was, you know, 10 times worse than it actually was. Um, it's easy to get kind of sucked into those things because it's like, well, I want it to be more dramatic. Um, but I think just staying true to it and, and, uh, staying true to how that actually developed is super important and finding other ways to make it actually interesting and capturing that moment. Yeah. People don't like being compared to their siblings, but since you're not in high school, I'll ask you, uh, how would you compare your filmmaking style to your brothers? I would say it's, I mean, we, we worked so much together that we have a lot of similarities um, but definitely, I mean, I think we both have our own, we both have our own ideas and, uh, ways of doing things. So I, <laughs> we obviously have a difference there as far as, you know, what we're drawn to. Uh, but I would say we have probably some similarities or how we, we view, you know, capturing hunts. Um, but it was kind of fun to, to work on this project because my brother was, um, one of the guys that 
we would work through all of, all the final cuts on and and making you know all the little bit little tweaks and just to hear his feedback oh it's good just to have an outside perspective because we definitely we don't think the same as far as when it comes to filmmaking and our creative creativity is definitely individualized um, for like what what our preferences are whether it's you know music or um, capturing the hunt or ideas of how the film should turn out in the end. Um, so I'd say we're, we're similar in that we, we've worked a lot together. Uh, so obviously that, that influence kind of wears off on each other, but definitely we're, we're, we're different in a lot of ways as far as our creativity. Mm -hmm. So what's, uh, what's next? What's on the horizon for you? Well, I, so I'm kind of in a unique phase in life in that I have boy girl twins that are almost two and a half years old. I have then a little girl that's, she just turned a year in March and then we'll have another baby in August, um, which is kind of thrown a little bit of a, a curveball in my fall. Uh, so I don't have too much planned for fall just cause the baby's due in August and with just like the size of our family and how young our kids are, I definitely don't want to put my wife in the situation where, you know, she kind of despises me and <laughs> some of the work that I'm doing in the fall. So I'm not, I'm not planning too much for the fall right now. Um, but the next thing I kind of have uh, planned is uh, in your backyard, I'm going to be going to uh, uh, uh with Jesse, his buddy, Dan, my brother, Zach, and then Lyle um, to film a coastal black bear archery hunt. Nice. Yeah. Dan, Dan's a good dude. I've known him since he was, I don't know, like five feet ago. He's a pretty tall dude. I remember when he was just a little kid. Oh, nice. Yeah. That'll be, yeah. I, I've, <laughs> I've never met Dan, but, um, yeah, he seems like an interesting guy that will be fun to, fun to hang out with. Yeah. That'll be a good trip. It'll be a good trip. For yeah. Sure. Uh, when is that? Is that this year? Yeah, it'll be, uh, I think, yeah, we start May 20th through the 30th. Nice. Yep. That's going to be good. Well, yeah. uh, what do you got for a closer? Uh, you know, pitch the film, pitch other stuff, uh, whatever you want. What do you want to do? Yeah. I mean, check out Rain Likely. Uh, it's on Stone Glacier's most of their media outlets, their YouTube channel. Um, I don't really have too much to pitch. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that – I feel fortunate that filmmaking and uh, being a content creator – it's not my full-time gig. It's more of my passion, my passion projects. Um, so it's, it's not a necessity. It's just something I love to do and kind of my side hustle. Um, so I honestly, I probably do like one or two projects a year. Um, most of them are, are for Stone Glacier just because, well, my connection through my brother, um, uh, but also, uh, they're just really good guys to work through, work with. And, um, and just they have give you kind of the freedom to be a little bit more creative um, with a lot of their media and and content creation. So, yeah, I don't have much much else to pitch. Check out the film. Um, I'd give you my Instagram handle, but you know I don't really need anyone going there and checking it out because I'm not really trying to promote it much other than my family and a little bit of my work. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Cool. And it, it was good talking with you, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Sounds good. Take care. All right, see ya.